Chapter 8, The Attractive Power of Faith. In addition to the influence exerted by faith over and upon those phases of mental power which manifest in the more familiar activities of thought, desire, and will, which you have considered in the preceding section of this book, faith also plays an important part in those less familiar activities of the mind which operate in the direction of affecting and influencing the things, conditions, and persons in the outside world. This is particularly true concerning that phase or form of mental power, which manifests along the lines of the law of mental attraction. While the orthodox and more formal schools of psychology do not as yet openly admit the validity of the phenomena of mental power to which we have just referred, Nevertheless, there exists a large and rapidly growing body of careful thinkers, experimenters, and observers who have thoroughly satisfied themselves of the reality of such phenomena and of the validity of the teachings concerning the mental laws governing them. That thought travels in subtle waves, currents, and streams of vibratory energy, which extend far from the brain of the persons originating them. That these vibratory thought waves or thought currents affect and influence other persons and things. That thought is contagious and awakens corresponding mental vibrations in others at a distance. All this has now come to be accepted as truth by millions of persons all over the world, and though not as yet formally accepted and taught by the orthodox conservative schools of psychology, the general hypothesis is accepted as true by great numbers of very careful thinkers, and the body of experimental and practical proof supporting it is increasing rapidly in size and importance. One of the most interesting and at the same time most important and practical phases of this general class of mental phenomena is that which is known as mental attraction or thought attraction. The attractive power of thought manifesting along the lines of the law of mental attraction. It is with this particular phase that we are specially concerned in this consideration, rather than that of thought power in general. We have considered the general subject of thought power, thought vibration, etc., in that volume of this series entitled Thought Power. In the present volume, we are concerned with thought power only so far as it is associated with faith power. And the attractive power of thought is closely linked with that of faith power, as you will see as we proceed with the present consideration of the subject. The attractive power of thought manifesting along the lines of the law of mental attraction may be stated as follows. One, thought in the form of subtle vibratory force travels in constantly widening circles from the center represented by the brain of the individual. Two, these thought waves coming in contact with the minds of other persons, tend to set up corresponding vibrations there, manifesting what has been called the contagion of thought. Three, these thought vibrations of the individual manifest that general law of thought by reason of which thought continually strives, A, to manifest itself in action, and B, to materialize in objective form that which exists within itself in ideal form. 
Number four, these thought vibrations operating as above stated tend to attract and draw to the individual the objects and conditions of the outside world, which are correlated to the thought of the individual or else to attract and draw the individual to such correlated objects or conditions. The attractive power of thought, sometimes called the drawing power of the mind, operates along the lines of what is known as the law of mental attraction. As we have said, this law of mental attraction operates along certain general lines of manifestation, though exhibiting numerous special phases or forms of such manifestation. Its general principle of operation is well expressed by the term correlation. Correlation means reciprocal or mutual relation, and relation meaning connection, kinship, alliance, attachment, or affinity. Correlation then means mutual or reciprocal relation, connection, kinship, alliance, attachment, or affinity. Things which are correlated or tied or linked together by mutual affinity kinship, alliance, or similar connection. One of the cardinal principles of mental science is that thoughts and the things represented by them are correlated, i.e. linked and connected by subtle ties or bonds of attachment, affinity, or kinship. The second principle of mental science is that correlated things tend to attract each other. Thus, the things of the outside world tend to attract the thoughts which are correlated to them and the thoughts tend to attract the things to which they are correlated. Thus, there is set up a process of mutual attraction or drawing to, things attracting and drawing to themselves correlated thoughts and thoughts attracting and drawing to themselves correlated things, conditions, happenings, or persons. The same mental law also operates so as to draw to the individual the thought currents of others which are correlated to his own by reason of similar rate of vibrations or of common nature of the thought. Thought attraction has been compared with the action of the magnet. And indeed the mind is a powerful magnet attracting and drawing to itself those things which are in harmonious vibration with it. It has also been compared to the action of gravitation and the analogy is quite striking. The law of mental attraction might well be called the law of mental gravitation. Gravitation is that attraction or force by which all bodies or particles in the universe tend toward each other. Not only does the earth attract the tiny particle of matter, but the latter also attracts the earth. Not only does the sun attract the earth, but the latter also attracts the sun. Not only does the earth attract the moon, but the latter also attracts the earth as is evidenced by its pulling force upon the earth's tides. There is the mental and reciprocal pull of gravitation in force between all material things. The law of mental attraction or mental gravitation acts along lines very similar to those of the action of physical gravitation. There is present and active the mutual and reciprocal pull between thoughts and things and between thoughts and thoughts. Thoughts, however, are things as the last analysis. This principle extends even to so-called inanimate objects. This mystery is explainable under the now well-established law that there is mind in everything. Even in the apparently inanimate objects of the universe, 
even in the atoms and particles of which material substances are composed. We shall not argue this last point here. It has been considered in detail in other volumes of this series. We are stating here merely the general fact. Just as birds of a feather flock together, so do the thought waves and thought currents of different individuals draw together and also are attracted to the different individuals manifesting the same general character of thoughts. These are affinities in the world of thought vibrations, just as there are affinities between chemical substances and between individual living creatures. So we not only draw to us thought vibrations in harmony with our own, but we also draw to ourselves other persons whose general thought vibrations are similar to our own. The negative phase of attraction, that phase known as repulsion, operates along the same general lines as the positive phase. The following lines quoted from that volume of the present series entitled Thought Power will give you in short form a general idea of the more complex operations of the law of mental attraction. Not only do you attract thought vibrations, thought waves, thought currents, thought atmospheres, etc., of a harmonious character into which your thoughts have a natural affinity, you also attract to yourselves by the power of thought attraction other persons whose thoughts have an affinity and harmony with your own. In the same way, you attract to yourself and are attracted toward other persons whose interests run along the same general lines as your own. You draw to yourself the persons who may be necessary for the successful carrying out of the plans and purposes, the desires and ambitions, which fill your thoughts most of the time. And in the same way, you are drawn toward those whose plans and purposes you are fitted to play an important part. In short, each person tends to attract toward himself those other persons whom he needs in order to materialize his ideals and to express his desires, providing that he wants it hard enough, and providing that the other persons are in harmonious affinity with his plans and purposes. There are other and still more subtle phases of the operation of thought attraction which must be noted here, although they involve the operation of certain powers of the mind and of nature, which are but little understood by the great masses of persons. We have reference here to the fact that by thought attraction, not only other thoughts, not only other persons are attracted to oneself, but also that the conditions, environment and circumstances necessary for the effective expression and manifestation of one's thoughts are often brought into being for him they can scarcely be said to have been attracted to him. Rather, does it seem that he is attracted to and by them? There is evidently a correlation established between these things and one's thoughts. Subtle natural forces are called into operation in order that there may be a coordination of the person, the time, the place, the conditions, the opportunity required for the expression and materialization of the thought. Persons who have had their attention directed toward the operations of the law of mental attraction and who have learned to apply the principles of its manifestation in their own affairs in life observe many wonderful instances of its power in the happenings of their everyday life. Books, newspaper items, magazine articles bearing on some subject which is prominent in the thoughts, all these come to hand in an almost uncanny way. 
persons who fit into the general scheme of the thought plan come into one's life. Peculiar happenings come to pass in the same way. Things arise which fit in with the general idea. Unexpected circumstances arise, which, although often at first sight seemingly obstructive and undesirable, in the end are found to dovetail perfectly into the whole scheme of things. No wonder that many persons having these experiences are at first inclined to attribute them to supernatural or superhuman influence, but they are in full accordance with natural law and are a part of the powers of man when rightly understood. It is undoubtedly true that clear idealization and insistent desire combined with the persistent determination of will give power, energy, and force to the attractive power of thought in the cases just recited. Thoughts characterized by strong, clear-cut ideas and ideals inspired by insistent desire and stiffened by persistent will are far more effective in thought attraction than are thoughts of the opposite character. But the factor of faith or confident expectation plays an equally important part in the process. Here, as in every other manifestation of mental power or personal power of any kind, the factor of confident expectation is most important and one which must always be pressed into service and never overlooked or undervalued. As we have repeatedly stated in this book, faith and confident expectation is the great stimulator and energizer of mental power and doubt, disbelief, distrust, and unbelief are the great weakeners, depressants, and inhibiting forces of the mind. The attractive power of thought is highly increased by the presence of a lively faith and spirited, confident expectation. It is greatly decreased, weakened, hampered, and often almost entirely inhibited by the presence of marked doubt, disbelief, distrust, and unbelief. The general law concerning faith and confident expectation is as fully and actively operative in the phenomena of thought attraction as in any of the other phases of mental power. When your thoughts concerning an object, a plan, an undertaking, a course of action is strongly colored by faith and confident expectation, they are given an active, forceful, attractive quality. They may be said to be inspired by that confident, expectant, hopeful mental attitude and are accordingly filled with life and spirit. On the contrary, when your thoughts of this nature are colored with doubt, distrust, disbelief, and unfaith, they lack life and spirit and are weak and ineffective. When that unfaith is of such a pronounced character as to be actually a faith in the futility of the plan and a confident expectation of its ultimate failure, then the thoughts strong enough to produce effects and results tend to attract the opposite of that desired. In short, to attract the undesirable results instead of the desirable effects. You may understand this better by realizing that the effect of transmitted thought vibrations is almost precisely similar to the effect of one's mental attitude manifested in a personal interview. You need no argument, no illustrations to convince you of the of the different effect produced upon you and in you, on the one hand, by the confident, hopeful, expectant, optimistic, and mental attitude of the person seeking to interest you in a plan or an undertaking, and on the other hand, by that of the person with a similar purpose whose mind is filled with doubt, 
distrust, unfaith, and disbelief in the thing which he is presenting to your attention and which he is advocating. In such instances, you fairly catch the mental vibrations of either of these classes of persons, and you are distinctly aware of the mental reaction which they induce in you. The first class produces an effect which may be called inspiring. The second class, the effect which one may call dispiriting. The one class invites success and cooperation. The other class invites failure and a refusal on your part to fall in with the idea presented. In either case, the effect produced upon you is correlated with the character of the thoughts prominent in the mind of the other person. Some persons in such an interview are so filled with faith, hope, confidence, and belief in their plans and propositions and in the successful outcome of the interview that it requires an effort on your part to refuse this to them. Others under similar conditions manifest merely a lukewarm and colorless mental attitude. They seem to lack conviction concerning the merits of their propositions and to entertain grave doubts of their ability to attract and hold your attention and interest, let alone to arouse your desire and to obtain a judgment in their favor. It is quite easy to say no to such persons for you are convinced that they feel in their hearts that such is just what I expected. Others have such a degree of doubt, unfaith, disbelief, and lack of confidence in the proposition and in the outcome of the interview that it amounts to faith and confident expectation of being turned down cold at once. Their mental ears are pricked ready to catch your emphatic no. Here you find refusal to be the line of the least resistance. You know this from actual experience. Well then, the same principle operates in the case of thought attraction by means of the transmitted thought vibrations of the individual. There are present in such case, the conditions which attract and those which repel. The thought vibrations of the individual are really that individual himself, so far as is concerned the particular degree of thought attraction. They produce the same effect at long range that are produced at short range in the personal interview. The principle is the same in either case. Your mental attitude and the character of your thoughts determine the effect to be produced in the long distance mental calls just as truly as in the short distance ones. The same causes are present and active and of course the same effects and results follow. Wherever mental power is present and active, it acts according to the same principles, irrespective of the distance from the person exercising it. Space does not change its character or its laws of operation. This being understood, you will see that it is not sufficient for you to arouse your faith and confident expectation concerning an undertaking, project, plan, idea, object, or subject merely when you are actually in the presence of persons who are considered likely to serve your purposes in the matter. You must also create and maintain a habitual mental attitude of faith, belief, and confident expectation in the things in which you are interested and in which you hope to interest others. You must not allow doubt, distrust, disbelief, and unfaith to overcome you during the hours in which you are away from the other persons in the case. And above all, you must never allow yourself to fall into the sloth of despond, into the mire of positive doubt, distrust, and disbelief concerning your projects, 
Lest you start into operation in the wrong direction, the power of faith and confident expectation. Your mental atmosphere is not confined to your immediate position in space. It extends in all directions and is filled with vibrations, waves, currents, whirlpools, and swirlpools of thought power. And these influence and produce effects upon other persons whose thoughts are turned upon similar objects or upon yourself and your undertakings. Remember always that thought is contagious as long range as well as short range over long distances as well as in your immediate vicinity. If you have a lively faith in your undertakings and a firmly established confident expectation of their success, then others in the general line of interest will tend to catch this mental attitude. Just as true is it that if you entertain marked doubt towards your proposition or undertaking, if you are filled with distrust, disbelief, and unfaith regarding it, then such other persons will tend to catch these mental vibrations and will act accordingly. First, be sure that the undertaking is a proper subject or object of faith and confident expectation and then deliberately and determinedly cultivate, develop, and maintain such mental attitude concerning it until it becomes set and habitual. If you cannot do this, you will do well to drop your connection with the thing and to turn your attention to something toward which and concerning which you truly feel faith and confident expectation and are able to manifest the proper mental attitude toward it. The more complex phases and forms of the manifestation of thought attraction, namely those phases and forms which are concerned with the attraction of circumstances, happenings, conditions, and environments, while more difficult to explain satisfactorily in simple terms, nevertheless are governed by the same general underlying principles of the law of mental attraction. The mental forces are set into activity by desire, they move out toward the object of clear and strong idealization. They are held firmly to the task by will, and last but not least, they are largely dependent upon faith and confident expectation for their color and effectiveness. Your conditions and environment, the circumstances and happenings which come to you, are very largely the result of the operation of the law of mental attraction, and they are accordingly, to a great extent, manifestations in objective material form of your mental ideas, ideals, and pictures. The force and nature of such manifestations, depending largely upon the degree of faith and confident expectation possessed and expressed by you in your thought upon these subjects and events, or upon the degree of doubt, disbelief, distrust, and unfaith, those negative phases of faith which serves to slow down the action of faith power or perhaps even to reverse its machinery. You create environment, conditions, circumstances, events, assistance, means to ends by mental powers operating along the lines of the law of mental attraction. Mental attraction, like all forms or phases of mental power, is the transformation of the subjective ideal into objective reality. The thought tends to take form in action, the mental form tends to take on objective materiality and substance. The ideal is represented by the clear, strong, definite mental picture or ideal form manifested in idealization. Desire furnishes the flame and heat which generate the steam of will needed in the creative process, but the idealization is impaired and weakened. The desire dies away 
The will loses its determination unless faith is there to create the confident expectation. The less the faith than confident expectation or the greater the doubt, disbelief, distrust, unfaith, and lack of confidence, the weaker is the idealization, the weaker the desire, and the weaker the willpower manifested. Without faith, there can be no confident expectation. Without faith, the fires of desire die away. Without faith, the steam of will ceases to be generated, and thus attainment becomes impossible. Whenever you think of the law of mental attraction, think of faith, for faith is its very soul, its inspiration. <laughs>